Gravy is brought to you by the Southern Foodways Alliance. Visit us on the web at southernfoodways.org. There you'll find other fishing tales, an oral history project on Harker's Island, North Carolina, and a film, All Fried, on Carolina fish camps. While you're online, consider a donation. Donations make all SFA work possible, including this podcast. Shad is a fish with a long history in Virginia. You're listening to Gravy. 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 Stories of the changing American South told through the foods we eat. We're a production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, and I'm John T. Edge, your host. Today, independent producer Jackie Snow takes us to the Chesapeake Bay, where biologists are working to restore the shad population. And then to Wakefield, Virginia, where the local Ruritan Club continues to smoke shad at a political event that dates back to the 1930s. Jackie, one thing I learned from your reporting is that you might even say shad is kind of patriotic, um, that it was a fuel for the American Revolution. Before we get to all that, what does a shad look like, Jackie? Shad are maybe a foot long. They're silver. They're not really that special looking. <laughs> okay, but the story's pretty good. The story is really good. Shad are a fish in the herring family. Along the Atlantic coast, they have a historic range from Florida to Canada. The migratory fish are born in freshwater rivers before heading out to the ocean, returning a few years later as adults to spawn. Captain John Smith, one of the founders of Jamestown, wrote in 1607 that the fish were so plentiful that colonists tried to catch them with frying pans. Shad supported fisheries, that is, commercial fishing grounds, up and down the coast, Virginia included. Records show that the shad fishing industry employed thousands of Virginians from the 1800s through the 20th century. That is, until 1982, when Virginia outlawed commercial harvest of shad. And then, like the the mighty buffalo that were just huge herds, the shad, which was also in immense numbers in many of the eastern rivers, because of the pollution, over-harvest, and the loss of habitat by dam, their numbers really declined, and now they're just a a ghost of their former self. But Shad has champions working to bring back their numbers. I'm on a boat with two of them. Jim Cummins, whom we just heard from, is a retired biologist with the Interstate Commission on the Potomac River Basin, and Brad Harley, a local waterman. We are headed out on the Doge Creek, a tributary of the Potomac River about 20 miles south of Washington, D.C. We are out to collect shad for a restoration program Cummins started more than 20 years ago. It's the second night of at least 13 that Cummins, Harley, and others will head out to catch the fish. Starting the restoration was an uphill battle. Cummins says no one was sure it was even worth the effort. We started putting nets out in 95, and again the first year we were successful, and we were successful each year thereafter to meet our stocking goal, which was two million. Actually, the initial goal was to gather enough eggs to put one million fry, or juvenile shad, back in the river. That number was doubled after early successes. Since 2003, the Potomac, which couldn't beg borrow steal an egg in 1994 when we were starting the program, is now the egg source for all the rivers in the Chesapeake Bay. 
Shad were an essential food source for Native Americans and early colonists. They returned to the rivers to spawn in April, just as the food put away for winter was running out. The shad is also sometimes called the founding fish because of an apocryphal tale about how George Washington and his starving troops were able to catch the fish when they were holed up in Valley Forge. Joseph Lee Boyle, a researcher with the National Park Service, explains the truth behind that legend. The real story, though, is even more interesting. His research found letters to the English that um, they, they knew that the shad would run up the Schuylkill River, so they had, um, orders were sent to see if there was a way they could block the shad migration so that they wouldn't have that food source. And letters came back just saying, yeah, we've blocked the river. They didn't say how. They believe they probably put nets down over the bridges in Philadelphia. But George Washington thought the British might do something like that. They ordered shad from other places on the Delaware River. It worked out. The troops at Valley Forge were fed by shad, but they came by wagon, and, and they, weren't, they didn't come up the Schuylkill River. So it's interesting the level of warfare. It's almost like biological warfare at the time, and, and that the two different sides were thinking about that food source. That's how important shad were to the day-to-day -day activities of people. The Chesapeake Bay itself has a rich history with shad. George Washington ran a fishery, fueled by enslaved labor, that was a major source of income for his Mount Vernon plantation. Washington also leased access to the water to other shad fishermen. His original plantation spanned 20,000 acres and ran along Doge Creek, right where I went out with Cummins and Harley. Records from the early 1800s suggest that there were about 160 fisheries pulling 22 million pounds of shad out of the Potomac each year. It's a huge amount. That's, uh, that's from, for one species in one river, that's equal to what we have now for the entire harvest in North America. Cummins retired last year from the Interstate Commission on the Potomac River Basin, but he still works on shad restoration. So, like the last 23 Aprils, he's heading out on the water to collect eggs and sperm from the returning shad. We are sitting on the water, waiting for the slack tide at dusk, when the shad are spawning. The slack tides, when currents are at their weakest, are the easiest times to deploy the drift gill nets used to catch them. Spawning is when the female shad release their eggs, and male shad release their sperm, and some of them mingle together to fertilize. Cummins catches the shad before they release their load. Once we put nets out, we're going to fill this box with water, and that's where we're going to put the shad in after we catch them, the ones that we're going to keep to get the eggs and sperm from them, which is called milt. Sorry for all those milts out there, but that's the name of the fish sperm. The goal is to catch an equal number of female and male shad, or even a few more females. That can be tricky. But that's what Mother Nature provides to us, usually is what we, we, we get. Um, so sometimes if we're getting a bunch of males and we only have a few right females, we'll, we'll let a lot of the males go, because we don't need to, if we have... 10 right females, and we don't need 25 males. Um, so that's some of the sorting that'll be going on. That was once we put the nets in. Ideally, how many shad would you get tonight? Ideally, a million. Um, <laughs> we hope to get anything over six liters is pretty good. That's what they would need at the hatchery, kind of fill up a tank in the hatchery. Um, but we're hoping for a 20 plus liter night. Realistically, we'll probably get six to 
10, maybe 15 starting off. It's anybody's guess. We'll have to wait and see. There are about 30 to 40,000 fertilized eggs per liter. A 20-liter night can mean hatching 6 million fish that will be returned to rivers throughout the region. Harris Lake National Fish Hatchery, a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service facility, takes most of the fertilized eggs. And about 30 elementary schools in Maryland, Washington, D.C., and Virginia get their own shed eggs to hatch in classroom aquariums. Cummins call shad a clock spring species. Other species rely on their annual return to the Chesapeake Bay to feed themselves after the long winter or to nourish their young. Eagles lay their eggs in February and they hatch just as the shad are returning. Dolphins and whales eat the fish. Minnows nibble on the vast amount of eggs shad release in the water and in turn, other fish eat the minnows. The clockwork of the finely balanced Chesapeake Bay ecosystem is disrupted when the shad numbers are low. Bringing back shad could help reset the whole ecosystem. Cummins and Harley put out three 300-foot-long gill nets and let them drift. These nets have a mind of their own when they're in the water, and they'll turn. I've seen them go, they'll go straight up and down the river, and I've seen them make a complete 360 with the way the tide, because when the tide's changing here, at some points, you can actually see the low tide going this way and the high tide going this way, and it's like little swirls in it. They also watch the corks tied to the top of the net. Once they start getting pulled lower in the water or getting bunched together, it means the nets are full. Tonight, they fill up in just half an hour. I told you it don't take long, Jim. Oh, they're falling out. There's so many, um, look at that. Harley pulls out a ripe female fish, one that is spawning, to show me. She's probably just shy of 12 inches long, silver in color, and her underside is swollen with eggs, bunches of which are already sticking to her underside. See the eggs? Oh, yeah. The eggs come out pretty actively when they're right. Cummins and Harley work quickly, pulling the fish out of the nets to put them in buckets on the boat. Every day after we fish them, I got to pick them back out by myself. You mean straighten them up? Pick them? Yeah. The nets are going to come back off. The fish have been doing some weaving on them. Tom Gunner and Dave Hopper were out on the river on another boat, ready to take the fish that Cummins and Harley caught. After the handoff, they'll gather and mix the egg and sperm. Well, what we're doing is uh, we're hand-stripping the females, which are uh, running ripe. Generally, the stripping technique, of course, is going to kill the fish, unfortunately, but... Uh, the uh, percentage of eggs that we get out of the hatchery compensates. The stripping consists of squeezing along the underside of the fish, like a tube of toothpaste, forcing the eggs or sperm out. Gunner strips all the females into a bowl before moving on to the males. That's when the fertilization process starts. It takes about two seconds for the sperm to fertilize the eggs and then it's over with. Once all the males are stripped and all the females are stripped, we'll mix sperm and eggs together. Then we add the water, which does the activation. Most nights you just do the best you can because a lot, a lot of nights you're, you're uh, hurting for, for males. So generally you, you give all the males you have in a, in a batch. You know, This is pretty good. Gunner and Hopper 
Finish stripping the shad and add the water, mixing it with a finger. The eggs, about the size of a ballpoint pen tip, will double in size once they are fertilized and absorb water, a process called water hardening. That night, Cummins got his 20 liters of fertilized eggs, an amount he says is unheard of so early into the season. According to Cummins, the number of young shad in the Potomac River have multiplied 50-fold since the 1980s, and the number of adults returning to spawn by five-fold. The restoration project has put more than 22 million fry into the river. But those gains are tenuous. The Chesapeake Bay cleanup depends on EPA funding, which could always be rolled back. Funding for the restoration project is always in danger of being cut, too. You know, it's natural resources are always needing additional attention, uh, especially funding. They're the first, often one of the first things to get cut. And I, I'm hoping that the uh, powers that be will understand the importance of these fish and continue to support their uh, restoration programs. Harley has been working on the shadow restoration for 20 years and has seen the populations and funding wax and wane together. Funding's the hardest part, and a lot of people don't realize that this is the best way to spend funding unless you're doing it in education, you know, because this river needs it, other rivers need these fish. It's not just for us, it's the, the eagles here, the ospreys, everything feeds off of it for their young during the spring. Up next, Jackie Snow answers questions about which I've long been curious, like how do you plank a fish, and why do shad planking events draw politicians to the Tidewater town of Wakefield each spring. But first... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If smoking shad sounds like something you'd like to try, Lodge Cast Iron makes a sportsman's grill that's perfect for the job. Since it's small and portable, you can bring Lodge Sportsman's Grill on your next fishing trip. If shad isn't in your fishing plans, grill catfish or smoke some mullet. Lodge Cast Iron supports all your outdoor adventures and meals, just as they support this gravy podcast. For that, we thank them. Jackie, before we get to those questions about fish planking and political festivities, tell me this, does the board on which those fish cook, I don't know, does it impart some kind of flavor? You know, they like to use oak, but their real secret is in the sauce that they use. It's a hot day in late April in Wakefield, Virginia. It's even hotter for the men who showed up at 4.30 a.m. and stoked flames for the shad planking, a political event featuring smoke shad held annually here. My alarm went off at 4 o'clock this morning. I rolled out of bed about 4.15 and I was here at 4.36. 
Eric Brittle is a co-chair of the Shad Planking and a biologist with Virginia's Department of Game and Inland Fisheries. He also happens to be the current coordinator for the Shad Restoration in Virginia. We were here, everything was prepared. We had the fire department come out and assist us. If you, if you look here through the rafters, um, they're a little bit blackened from fires in the past and even this morning. The, uh, the flames will sometimes scorch these rafters and the fire department has to come in and, and squirt them down so they don't burn down the whole shelter. The shad planking dates back to the 1930s when locals got together in a nearby town and celebrated the return of spring and the shad with a cookout. The term planking refers to the cooking technique. The shad are nailed to wooden boards and smoked next to an open fire. Talking politics also became part of the tradition. Slowly, it grew into a bigger political event, and the organizers turned the event over to the Ruritans, a community service organization who moved it to Wakefield. The ticket sales go to fund local groups, like the fire department, food pantry, and schools. Preparing the shad takes up to eight hours. First, the shad is cut long ways and laid out open. It's nailed to a plank of hickory or oak. A fire is lit, and the side of the plank with the shad is turned away from the heat to start. Once the fire burns down a bit, the cooks flip the fish side of the plank towards the fire to smoke it for hours. Cooks put a secret spicy marinade on the fish throughout the whole process. Today's event has a band on a stage, a couple dozen stands for local vineyards and distilleries giving out samples, as well as groups like the National Rifle Association, the Virginia Civil Defense League, and a Virginia Libertarian group. A half dozen politicians running for state office work the crowd. Today's turnout of 300 or so is actually sparse in comparison to the old days, says Brittle. My first experience is probably when my dad was in this Ruitin club and was involved with it and, and coming out here once or twice as a little kid. And at that time in the mid 80s, you know, it was huge. There was 3,000 people coming out here. There was airplanes flying into the airport, bringing in legislators, helicopters landing across the road in the grassy area, bringing the governor in. About a decade ago, attendance started to fall. With television and social media, politicians have less to gain from reaching a few thousand voters at a small town gathering. Those same forces made the event less exciting for the upcoming generation. Even though the event has always had alcohol, bringing in local wine and beer was seen as a way to connect to a younger audience. This is, this is the 69th year that we've been having the shad planking. And in the last couple of years, we've changed the name to try to switch over to more of a grapes and grains festival to try to promote um, local wineries, Virginia wineries, Virginia craft breweries, breweries, and some of the Virginia distilleries and stuff. So we're, we're transitioning to that. Bob Feltz has been coming to the shad planking since the 1960s. He remembers when tickets would sell out and only those in the know could get them. Politics used to draw to people. Now we hope the shad will draw it because it's so uniquely different. Yes, if you're looking for a draw to bring people in or are willing to buy a ticket. Brittle worries that the decline of the event will hurt the shad restoration. He wants to keep shad in the public spotlight even as their numbers are low. There are still some people, important people like legislators that are here that know that this is still an important fishery. Um, the commercial fishing industry knows how important it was. Hopefully they still realize how important it is, but you know, as those guys that used to catch shad start to retire and not be in the industry, 
you kind of lose that knowledge of what it used to be so it doesn't become as important anymore and, and, and the younger generation shifts to something else. In fact, since there is no commercial fishing of shad in Virginia, the shad cooked here today come from North Carolina. Brittle says that the population aren't necessarily doing much better further south, but North Carolina still allows commercial fishing. Can I get you guys to tell me what you're doing to the fish? All right, go ahead, Lewis. Basing the sauce onto the fish. This is the third time we've done Third basing of the day. Is this the last one? Yes, it is. This is a special pepper sauce that was uh, originated with Mr. E Ed Carter Nettles a long, long time ago. And nobody really, only, it, the secret is passed down. <laughs> nobody knows that. Exactly, the, with recipe. It's just got a lot of pepper in it. It'll, it'll burn it'll any allergy, it'll, it'll burn anything clear, you've got it'll in it. clear your sinuses out. Will <laughs> that. But this is good. This is gourmet. This really is. It may not look very good, but... <laughs> when the shad is ready to serve, the cooks pry the nails out, using a putty knife to scrape the fish off the planks. We couldn't tell off. We're going to split it down the middle and try to get like at least six pieces out of one fish and serve it to the tray and then they shoot it on down the line. Kim Hanna and Jerry Jessen drove up from Atlanta to try out the shad and were some of the only non-locals in attendance. They were eager to get their first taste. Bony, oily. Salty. I love it. I love it. I really do. I may have to grind up and spit out the bones, but I like it. I'm staying with my original opinion. Nada. <laughs> Hannah finishes her plate, and even Justin eventually eats a second piece. They're a little surprised that they like it. We've been asking people all, like we got here, you know, last night, and so everywhere we've gone, which is very limited, but we've said, have you had, you know, the shad? And every local has said, no, I've lived here my whole life. I've never gone to the festival. And one person said, well, here's how you eat shad. You take the fish off the board, and then you eat the board. <laughs> but I'd have to dispute that. And it's true. The dirty secret of the shad planking is that many of the locals aren't crazy about the fish. Some complain about the bones, others don't like the oiliness, and a few said they just prefer a different preparation than smoked. One attendee was eating his shad over a trash can with a scowl on his face. I've been coming here since the 80s, and this is the first time that they haven't served baked beans and coleslaw and hush puppies. And the only reason that you could ever fill up at all was because of the hush puppies, the coleslaw, and the baked beans. But now they're just giving the shad. It's terrible. But you're still doing. You're still trying to do it. I'm trying because I'm hungry. <laughs> I thought the politicians would at least feel obligated to say they like it. Nope. Corey Stewart, a Republican currently serving as at-large chairman of the Board of Supervisors in Prince William County, and is now running for governor tried to tell me how much he liked the tradition of the shad planking. When I pushed him on the actual fish, he said, Look, I like the tradition more than I like the fish. <laughs> and Frank Wagner, 
a Republican state senator, who is also running for governor, took it a step further and brought his own food. You know, I've, I've tasted Chad. A lot of people have. It's a, it, I, I, I'll be gentle and say it's an acquired taste, okay? <laughs> I have yet to acquire the taste yet, which is why here at our little booth we're serving hot dogs, figured that people will be hungry. Shad used to be well-liked. The species name of the American shad, Alosa sapodissima, actually means delicious. But those not used to dealing with the 769 bones in a shad might think otherwise. Perhaps years of salmon fillets and soy sauce-soaked sushi have changed American palates. At the end of the day, despite the belly aching, about three-quarters of the shad had been eaten. And everyone I talked to had something nice to say about the event, or had an opinion about why the shad were important to Virginia. A lot of attendees had fond memories of coming to the planking as children. One guy hanging out waiting to talk to Stuart said that as a sports fisherman, he'd love the chance to catch shad. He also pointed out that the licenses could bring in money for the state. Brittle is worried about the event and the fish, but isn't ready to give up on either. Could this even be the shad planking without shad? I would hate to see the day, and if it, it would be kind of ironic if it happened on my watch while I was the American shad coordinator and a co-chair of, of the, the shad planking here in Wakefield, but uh, I'm going to do everything in my power to keep that from happening. Um, so having the shad planking, continuing the restoration project in the Chesapeake Bay, hopefully keep shed in the forefront of you know what what people are thinking about planning for next year's shad planking has already started it's on for april 20th 2018. brittle says they are considering adding some local microbreweries maybe a drink pairing will be a nice addition and something that could cut the shad's oiliness Nothing to be done about all those bones, though. Your friends at Gravy thank Jackie Snow, who produced this episode and who lives and works in Washington, D.C. If you want to talk shag with Jackie, you can find her on Twitter. That's at Jackie Snow, J-A-C-K-I-E. Music in this episode comes from Nick Foreman, who wrote songs especially for this Shadapalooza. Our theme music is by Wendell Patrick, Donor music is by Jazar. Managing editor for this podcast and all other SFA content is Sarah Camp Milam. Our intern is Robin Miniter. You may find photos and research from this episode on our website, that's southernfoodways.org. If you want to read more about Virginia Foodways, head to our website where you can read a piece by Hannah Raskin called Virginia's Dare about how a cooking competition in the Old Dominion in 1948 unwittingly set the tone for modern food journalism. That's southernfoodways.org, where there's a whole bunch of smart content waiting you. And as you go about your day, please remember, make cornbread, not war.